White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. Good Friday evening. This is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing on this beautiful evening? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, we're, we're parsing through this Tony La Russa stuff, and we, this is part two of our Tony La Russa is the next White Sox manager uh, podcast series. And we wanted to spotlight in this episode of Rick Hahn's really shitty day at work. We've, we've all had them. Uh, some of us more than others. Some of you go to work every day and it's shitty. Uh, I've had jobs like that. Uh, thankfully, uh, this job here doing the podcast and our job at 670 The Score is not one of those things. I could uh, A bad day at the score beats a bad day back when I was working at uh, at Jewel or you know working in the Census Bureau. It's a job I had for a while. Uh, you know, so yeah. So you know, we want to spotlight Rick Hahn's uh, awful, awful day. And I, w- I didn't get the luxury of watching the the press conference. Uh, we had the audio when we played it uh, on the uh, Danny Parkin show today on The Score as we're recording this on Thursday night. Uh, if you're listening to this Friday, uh, we re- did it on the show yesterday. And I did not see Rakan's face when listening to this press conference, so I did not get a chance to watch it. But I did go back and watch it tonight before we sat down. And just start visually here before we get to what he said, any of the audio. Uh, just He looked exhausted, man. He looked like he was a man that did not want to be there in front of reporters. It looked like you know, at least they were going to maybe try to drag this out a little bit and do their due diligence, at least for appearances. But this decision to hire Tony La Russa was made swiftly. And there was a lot of assembled media on that Zoom call today. Uh, this is one of the biggest stories in baseball this year. And Rick Hahn just, he looked like he didn't want to be there. Like, he, this was a bad day for him, and you'll hear why in a second. But did you did, did you notice the same thing about the look on Rick Hahn's face? Like, begrudgingly, it looked like, some people said it was like a hostage situation uh, for Rick Hahn today. But he just, you had to feel for the guy out there today. Yeah. I really did. Like, you know, my history with Rick, we've butted heads a couple of times. He gave me a good joke on the uh, call when we uh, got him on earlier this year. Um, and I criticized him a lot. But I can tell, and everybody knew, this is not Rick Hahn's hire. And he was exhausted probably because he's telling Jerry, trying to talk him out of hiring this guy. And looking on Twitter and showing the reaction on Twitter and turning on the score and listen to what these people are saying before we hire him. He's trying to say to Jerry, hey, man, I've been up for the last 20 hours trying to convince you of getting somebody else, of looking a different direction. And then when he hires him, you know, Jerry's like, hey, go and do the press conference like you usually do. And you heard in the comments. I don't know if people got it. At the end of his statement, 
Rick was saying, part of my job as a GM is to do this, which was introducing Tony LaRussa. It seemed like what he was doing was just because Jerry said, hey, do your job and announce Tony LaRussa. And Rick told uh, Jerry, and I'm just speculating, I'll do it. But I won't be excited like I usually am. And I won't fake a smile. And I won't act anyway. And I won't lie out there. And he didn't lie. His reaction was exactly, it set the tone for that whole thing. It was exactly like White Sox fans felt. He felt like a punch in the gut. The words are there. I know we're going to play some of them. Yep. He felt like we battled and we had to come to a consensus. And once we come to a consensus, then we're all on board. And that's what happened. The consensus was that Jerry wanted to hire Tony La Russa. And Kenny and Rick had to fall in line and maybe try to talk him out of it. But Jerry had his mindset. And the consensus happened immediately. And then Rick and them fell in line minutes before that press conference. Minutes before that press conference. Luckily for Kenny, he didn't have to go out there and, and talk about this man. You could see the comments that he made a nice opening statement about five minutes. Then all the rest of his comments during that presser were like 40 seconds at most where Rick is a very verbose guy, especially when he's uh, speaking about something he's enjoying. He was short. He was sad. He was beaten. And I, I don't know how long he is for this job. The only thing that's holding him on, I think, is that he created this, and he he wants to see it through. But today was a tough day for Rick, or Thursday. We're, we're recording this on Thursday. was a tough day for Rick, and he feels really, really shitty about what he had to do today because he knows it's the worst thing he could have done for his team. And um, his, his owner betrayed him. Yeah, th- that's how I see it too. And just think about Rick Hahn where he was a couple weeks ago when the season ended and he was talking about, you know, when he cleaned house, when he when he convinced Jerry Reinsdorf to get rid of Don Cooper for Christ's sake, you know, mm-hmm. but it's the, the last link to the World Series team. And we all thought this was a new day for the White Sox. We talked about it on this very podcast. Like, man, they are forward thinking. They're done with living in the past. And then you have what happens today. And you had to think Rick Hahn was looking forward to today. He was going to get a chance to hire his uh, second manager. But the first manager under a winning team is going to be a guy that he had to have thought about all year as he's watching Rick Renteria manage his team. He's like, you know what? Uh, I, I assume A.J. Hinch was the guy that he was that he was targeting. It certainly sounded like it when he, when he talked about the criteria. So he, all season long, he's like, man. We're going to be in a position where we can land A.J. Hinch, the top manager on the market, and we'll have a winning team to help him out, and it's going to be great. And it should be a great day in the history of this franchise and the the next chapter in what hopes to be a, a long, uh, deep run of many postseason appearances and hopefully culminating in a World Series title. So think about how exciting that is for a GM. But instead, he's forced to roll out there and basically do what his boss tells him to and we all have that in our line of work you know your 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 boss still runs the show but when you have uh, autonomy which we thought Rick Hahn did 
and you, all of a sudden you don't have that, like it's really deflating and you, you start to question everything about why you're there, why you've done everything up to that point. Let's just start at the beginning, which is typically a good place to start. This is how Rick Hahn began the press conference today. Listen to his voice. This day, I think, needs to be uh, about Tony LaRusa and the organization hmm. welcoming back to where it all started, welcoming a Hall of Famer back to where it all started. So, like, right there, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, he knows the narrative is, oh, God, this is not the guy who we thought that, that should have been hired, and now here's the guy who we know wanted to have someone younger, someone more relatable to the players, and he's going to sit out here and try to sell you why this is the right move. So my comments are, are going to be brief. Uh, I'm going well, to- yeah, there you go. You talk about him usually being verbose, like he'll usually throw the Jay Z ninety nine problems joke at you. You know, if he's feeling <laughs> feeling extra frisky, that's like the in, in the Rickon playbook right there. But you know, when he when whenever you say this is supposed to be a good day, man, if your your next manager uh, in your championship window, it's supposed to be a good day for everyone, and then your GM is saying he's going to keep his comments short. That tells you everything you need to know right there, but there's even more to it. Uh, let's uh, Again, this is only 16 seconds into the press conference. Try to uh, hit on a couple of anticipated questions up front so that uh, we can then turn the, the focus to Tony where it rightfully belongs today. So he talked about how this happened and when it happened. And Rickon was asked when he knew that LaRusa was going to be the guy. And just to think about the timeline in his answer here and how baffling this is. Kenny, Jerry, and I have had a lot of conversations about this over the last few weeks. I've uh, had the opportunity personally, and Kenny's had the opportunity personally to speak with Tony uh, on a number of occasions through this process. I th- Did you think that was weird when he said that Kenny's had a chance to speak to him a lot? Like it's almost as if Rick Hahn was like, "I want no part of this. You know, this is not yeah. the guy I want." So Kenny is is the good soldier, and you know Jerry Reinsdorf's not going to be the one actively courting uh, the manager on a day to day basis. But it certainly seemed like Kenny did all the legwork here, and Rick Hahn was like, "You know what? Not part of this." Like when you ever hear the GM, uh, you know, say someone else was at the the helm of most of the conversations. Yeah, it's very unusual. The GM, that's his job. Kenny's above that. He's you know, if he wants to go on scout like he did with Abreu, and he'll tell you about it, he'll go out and scout Abreu. But his job is higher than the day-to-day pencil-pushing things that Rick Hahn has to do and the meeting of the manager. Like, that's a final step of, hey, Jerry, Kenny, this is the guy that I want you guys to talk to. But Kenny playing point on talking multiple times to Tony LaRusa? Why? I mean, he already know he already's the guy, and R- Rick is getting forced into making this hire. And that your point about Rick being wanting no part of this because he didn't get what he wanted, and his power was taken from him. So he probably told Jerry, "He's like, you know what? I'm out of here. You know, I don't. If you're gonna hire this guy, I want no part of it. I don't want any part of talking to Willie Goddamn Harris, Willie Harris." Just to satisfy the minority uh, role right there for a manager job. Come on, That's, man. That you was know? so small time, man. And you know, I, 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 you know, I didn't want to look at it through that that lens. 
Like, but it seemed just like it was here's your here's your token person of color interview for this yeah. job, and also it was incestuous because obviously Willie Harris has a, a history with the franchise, mm-hmm. but it was like a non like a non threatening candidate to come yeah. in. You know, this isn't Sal- Sandy Alomar Jr. You know what I mean? This isn't Ron Washington, who's been to a World Series, uh, who's the the victim of the last World Series that Tony Larusa won. Uh, this wasn't a serious candidate. I, I'm sure Willie Harris is a bright guy. He's the outfield and base running coordinator for the Cincinnati Reds organization. So I'm, he's a bright guy, and I'm sure he would make a great bench coach in the near future. But that mm-hmm. seemed very just like, you know, whatever. Here, here's 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 our mandatory interview with Willie Harris and and that'll be that but just oh god <laughs> I, like your your point about Kenny speaking to Tony Russa it, it's a point I never thought of before but it's a hundred percent correct and I don't and I don't know that to be sure but the fact that he mentioned it was sort of telling like I'm sure Rick Hahn had conversations with with Tony Larusa, but it seemed like Kenny did the difficult legwork of talking to the guy uh, that Rick didn't want to hire. And this episode of Locked on White Sox is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. And now somehow the new and improved Built Bar is even delicious-er with six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. There's also 12 original flavors that you know and love so well. My personal favorite, the German chocolate. There's the peanut butter, of course, double chocolate, coconut, and, of course, peanut butter, brownie, Built Bars are always covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They're not all grainy like some of those other protein bars on the market. They're great if you're a health-conscious person on the go, good for maintaining or losing weight, or just indulging in those 3 o'clock snacks. I keep them in my desk drawer at work just to curb those sweet-tooth cravings. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and ideal if you're on the keto diet. For example... The Cherry Barcia, one of the new flavors I mentioned, 17 grams of protein and only 130 calories and just 4 grams of sugar with only 4 grams of net carbs. Hard to beat that for a good snack option. And now they're offering a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you will get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. And now let's get back into the show. But back to the, the timetable of when they knew this is going to be a thing. I think Tony and my longest conversation about last Saturday or so. And uh, you know, shortly after that, it, it was evident which direction we were ultimately going to wind up going so it's been it's been a few days almost almost a week so a week since Mm -hmm. they knew this is going to be the manager so this is a thing that's been years in the making and all of a sudden a a week is when uh, a week ago is when you figure out that this is going to be the manager and when the way he says it right there the decision that was going to be made you know what i mean not like this the decision i made and what i thought was best for this franchise just it's it makes me so angry i've been accused of, of being a, a rick Hahn apologist you know for uh, the way that i kind of support him and and i look at this white Sox organization through through a lens knowing that he doesn't have complete financial autonomy but it seemed like he has uh, autonomy to acquire players, and you know he certainly he hasn't made uh, all his moves have not been slam dunks. You know he had opportunities to improve the roster. He he failed. Everyone thought he won the off season in 2015 with Melky Cabrera and David Robertson. 
Um, but obviously that team uh, underachieved, and maybe that's the general manager's job to say, you know what, that I'm not taking a chance on these guys. But we know also that there was better free agents on the market several years before this rebuild even started, and they never opened up the checkbook. And I find it hard to believe that Rick Hahn looks at available free agents and be like, you know what, I don't want that guy because he costs too much and I want to save my boss money. No, he wants to get the best guys available, so I know when I evaluate Rick Hahn, that's uh, something that's always going to be baked into the discussion that he's got to go to his bosses and mm-hmm. mostly boss Jerry Reinsdorf and explain why money should be spent in a specific direction and more alto- you know more often than not he he's turned down and just it's so enraging 2007 Rick Hahn has been on record saying that's when the initial discussions of a rebuild first began when they had that awful year after a really good year in 06 Ugh. but then they realized that the roster wasn't sustainable Guys like AJ and, and Paul Konerko, uh were all going to be you know closer to the end than, than than the middle of their prime. So they thought it would be a good time to start rebuilding the thing, and he, ultimately he was vetoed. He didn't have the same uh, gravitas in the organization then as he did a few years after that. He worked his way up like most of us uh, in our careers, but he's turned down then. But then nine years later, it took him nine years to finally convince this team Meanwhile, one playoff appearance, one fluky playoff appearance in between in 08. So that pushed things back considerably because it was like the 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 old way of thinking for the White Sox. Like, oh, we'll just try to uh, piecemeal this thing together and, and patch up uh, roster spots with some creative trades and, and veteran signings uh, with guys at the end of their career. So it took him nine years, but he finally convinced the organization to do a rebuild. And it's pretty successful up to this point. He's able to to fleece the Nationals for Adam Eaton. He gets Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning, uh, all for Adam Eaton. He, of course, gets the Eloy Jimenez trade popping. Uh, he takes uh-huh. advantage of, of a vulnerable Cubs team who was in their championship window, and he went in for the kill, and he was able to get a cornerstone piece, a guy that's going to be an MVP candidate for years to come. Thanks, Cubs! He, he wins that trade, and the, the Chris Sale trade, you could argue one way or another, um, you know, but he got a number one prospect in Yohan Moncada who's shown flashes of being an MVP candidate as well. So he, he makes those moves with help from the scouting department and he's able to execute those moves and he wins all those trades and puts the Sox in a position where he can finally have it his way and build this team in his vision. And then he gets overruled by his boss, Jerry Reinsdorf. It just, I, that's why I feel for the guy. And you can hear it in his voice, and it's just not fair. Anyone who's watched this team over the past few years as they've gone through the course of this rebuild, and I'm not saying Rick Hahn is a perfect GM, but there certainly have been missteps along the way. But he has earned the right to finish this thing off and, and pick the manager that he wants, not the manager his boss wants. You know, it just it the whole thing is just very, very. It's just it's unsettling because you wonder what else happened along the way where Rick Hahn was was vetoed, uh, overruled, where he was undermined about making this team better. You know, maybe Rick Hahn did want to supplement uh, with with some free agents this offseason, some some better ones, you know, or make some creative trades. Who who knows? Now everything is up for question and debate and whether or not he has power because it's pretty clear that as of today going forward, he has none. And it brings me back to the decision-making process. He talked about mm-hmm. what went in to this decision, and this is probably one of the one of the hardest things uh, uh, to to parse through about this whole thing is is the process itself. As for the ultimate decision about 
how this takes place. Or I should say the ultimate decision about going with Tony. You've heard me say over the last several years on major decisions uh, that it's a uh, it's, it's about consensus, that it's a conversation uh, between the chairman, Kenny and myself. And ultimately, we come to a conclusion together. You know, quite frankly, sometimes it's uh, it, it moves along more quickly, like when we uh, talk about making the commitment necessary to sign a guy like Luis Robert. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer, like it perhaps does when you're deciding the right time to to pivot to a rebuild, as we did a few years back. <laughs> but the one thing that's consistent is that in the end, when the decision is made, we all are fully committed to making this work, everything work in the best interest of the White Sox. And everyone's on the same page when that final decision is made. Are they? <laughs> are they though? They're on the same page, but like by force, right? Like it's not like everyone's in agreement. It's it's one guy's in agreement, and you know, uh, it's his vote counts for like ten times what the other two guys in the room's vote is. You know, it just yeah. <laughs> it's oh god, just I. When you hear that, you know, you have any 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 takeaways from from hearing that part as far as this whole. Uh, this this triumvirate of, of decision makers, like in another, I'll quote Johnny Sack again. What's this? The UN now? Three out of families have this kind of arrangement. What's this? The fucking UN now? It's good to have voices to to bounce things off of, but again, you're getting back to the thing where he does not have total autonomy in this job anymore. That clip and listen to him throughout tells you all you need to know. He didn't like this move. The decision between them three, where he's at the bottom of that totem pole, was made by people higher than him and the guy at the top. Do you think a decision between you and your top, your uh, people who are above you, goes well for you? Especially when that guy who makes the final decision came up with the idea? No. That's his decision. His decision was, I want Tony LaRusa. This is Jerry's decision. Okay. I don't think you should have it at Jerry. I don't think Tony LaRusso is good for our emerging young fun team. Well, I don't give a damn, Rick. You're going to hire him and we're going to move on with Tony LaRusso. That was the decision. That conversation was over. And then Rick trying to convince him otherwise that Tony wasn't the guy, but it didn't work. And that press conference, you guys out there listening right now, have you ever heard a press conference where he's rationalizing the hire of the fucking guy that's a <laughs> Hall of Famer? The guy that he's bringing in is supposed to be a knockout home run hit. And he's rationalizing it and telling you the process that goes on. He's not like hiding on stuff. He's not lying like sometimes these guys will do f- for the guys that are above them. Don't smile in front of you in the camera. This was no smiling Rick Hahn. I mean, the one smile he did show, it was a nervous, I'm in a hostage situation smile. It was weird. And I think um, our guy Zoe, Matt Zawaski, has the uh, still frame of that. It's freaky. <laughs> you need to go and check that out. But this was no conversation to see if we can get a consensus. The consensus was made by Jerry. And it was up to Rick and Kenny to sway him off of that. 
they couldn't do it because his mind was made. His mind was 100% made. And maybe Rick um, Renteria's firing was already in the making. Maybe this hiring was already in the offing. And just by happenstance, Rick uh, Han was like, you know, at this Rick Renteria thing's not working out. And Jerry's like, what? Okay, you want to fire him? You get to hire the next manager type of thing. And Rick Han is like, oh, man, that's that's nice. And he had this false <laughs> sense of security. Like, man, he's really going to let me uh, – hire this guy. And then the next day we hear the Bob Nightingale story about him being the number one candidate. And then Rick Hans like, Oh fuck, I shouldn't have fall for the banana and the tailpipe. Yeah. I should have known better. That's so when, I know he's, that's when people got mad at me. I, I said, Rick Hahn has the toughest job in America. I said it in jest and people got mad at me because I, I forgot about first responders and healthcare workers as if I was uh, being serious with that. But people are the worst. <laughs> um, just the final thing here I want to get to before we, we, we uh, wrap up here and before we run out of time. So mm-hmm. there's more about the Reinsdorf factor and, and the sort of the plan that was implemented here. Quite frankly, as we talked a couple of three weeks ago when we initiated this process, uh, this obviously uh, played out a little differently than I initially described I thought it would for all of you. There it is right there. This played out differently than I thought it would. The mm-hmm. ge- general manager of your team saying, you know what, this is not what I expected. Um, that, that tells you everything you need to know right there, but he says more. Uh, when we discovered when tony was receptive to jerry's original overtures about potentially Mm. coming back and taking this position that changed the focus oh god it's the the fact again this wasn't tony larusa saying hey uh i'd love to come manage your club i think i could bring a world series title to to chicago and this wasn't that this wasn't this is a very attractive job but this was Jerry Reinsdorf overstepping and saying, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Tony LaRusso here and see if he wants to come manage. Like, that is just the worst kind. Of, like, because if, if, you, if all things were equal here and this was a job that everyone in baseball wanted and normally say, okay, a Hall of Famer wants this job, usually you default and say, you know what? Give it to him. But this is like a Robin Ventura situation where it sounds like what took so long with this, like they could have this this decision was made before the World Series was even began. It sounds like, and mm-hmm. all the, and but but it was Jerry reaching out to Tony, and he had to convince him to take the job. Remember, we played the thing from Dennis Eckersley saying, "Yeah, I don't think he's going to take the job. Why would he? Like, why would a, a, a man in his late seventies take over a baseball team during a pandemic when there's no vaccine yet, and who knows if they're even going to be in spring training? But they may be back to a sort of normal travel schedule the certainly the schedule is for 162 again next year why would a man in his late 70s want to be part of this with all the skins on the wall already in the hall of fame oh it's because jerry reinsdorf talked him into it it's the shade i mean i you know my rob ventura guy so i didn't hate that move because i love rob ventura as the player yeah but yeah i love him as the guy very, too you know very I, similar moves like where yeah, you have to convince this man to come back. There is nothing, like uh, Dennis Eckerly said, there's nothing for him to prove. If he wins a World Series with the White Sox, does he get two Hall of Fame rings? <laughs> what What's in it for him? He's already got championships from Oakland and St. Louis. He's already got his legacy cemented. Only thing this can do is make his legacy go down. There's nothing that is positive here for Tony La Russa. There's nothing for him to chase. 
There's no glory, money, anything that we would do. It's just a job now for him that he missed, but he wasn't clamoring for. He wasn't calling up Jerry and saying, hey, whenever you get an opening, I got you type of thing. Um, He was, and, and Tony said himself in the press conference, Jerry's had opportunities to rehire me multiple times and he didn't. So this time Jerry finds like, I got to right a wrong that I had let happen in 86. So I can feel good when I die type of bullshit. And then like, he tried to do that with Doug Collins. He brought him back into the fold and he felt bad that he fired him back in the nineties, early nineties. And he's like, okay, I'm bringing it back in the fold and Jim Boylan We'll have to just deal with you as our senior advisor on meetings and such. And then Jim Boylan kicked him out. You know, all this loyalty sometimes goes the wrong way. And having this guy have to be convinced to come back to a team that's ascending, I I, I get bad feelings. I get really bad feelings about this uh, for multiple reasons. I, I explained it on the episode previous to this one, if you need to hear more about it, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a bad thing when you have to convince somebody to take the job instead of a guy up in Detroit now, AJ Hinch, uh, wanted this job, the White Sox job, and he settled for the Detroit Tigers job. You think he really wants the Detroit Tigers job? Come on now, <laughs> he would have much rather been a world class city with a world class team that's ready to go and cement and rebuild his legacy because he has something to play for. He wants to manage again. He wants to finish and refix his uh his uh, tarnished reputation that's a guy that i want even though i would have hated the hire i can understand if he did get hired by the white Sox. this is just shit um a couple other things on my notepad here before we conclude uh you know i, I just want to get to it before we forget it so we mentioned on the last episode about marcus stroman who there was a string of tweets that he had liked earlier uh thursday about how Tony La Russa's hiring would be a hindrance and a detractor for potential uh, free agents to come to the White Sox. And that was, you know, a couple websites wrote about it. And then Marcus Stroman, who is very high on my list of targets because, you know, just as a White Sox fan, uh, someone who observes the team, you know that Trevor Bauer is probably not going to be the guy. We talked about the logistics of his contract maybe would cater to the White Sox in 2021 wanting a short-term deal and not have to be locked in long-term, maybe that does work out. But just by our default setting is the Sox never getting the big-ticket free agent, right? So Marcus Stroman is a guy that I had targeted. Like, okay, this is a guy who could immediately help your rotation. I love the attitude. I love the passion. Uh, I love the stuff. Just taking the ball every fifth day. He's everything you want uh, in someone to bring to your organization. And we'll certainly dive deeper into uh, free agent targets, but Marcus Stroman uh, is is re- relevant right now because he replied to one of the articles, you know, talking about him liking these tweets that were negative uh, towards the White Sox and Tony La Russa. And Marcus Stroman says this: "This isn't true at all. Everyone is assuming based off a few likes. I'm allowed to like tweets without them having any direct meaning towards a future situation. People change, grow, and adapt daily." 
Who knows what the future holds? I'm excited for it regardless. So that was encouraging. This whole narrative about, oh, you know, uh, people aren't going to want to come to the White Sox because of Tony La Russa. At least Marcus Stroman put a good public face on her, or at least his, his agent came out and said, look, man, you can't be doing like this because the White Sox are a team you, you may want to go to, and they may be writing checks now that Tony La Russa is there. So you may want to pull back on, on uh, any negative uh, comments about the White Sox. But, I, you know, I, I hope – that that's an indicator of how players are feeling, but generally around the league here, this Larusa hire, you know, maybe we should have talked about it in the last episode a little bit more. But baseball people seem to like this move, and it doesn't appear that after day one that his the Tony Larusa's presence on the South Side is going to be a hindrance for free agency. I can only hope so, and it's you know positive to hear what Marcus had to say because yes, him, Trevor Bauer, Robbie Ray. Other guys are on the top of my shopping list. Adam when it comes to ugh, <laughs> no, um, when it comes to when Tony would probably love that guy. I know Adam, that's why Adam I, first. I, oh God. I saw a, re, a redone lineup, and I think uh, me and Rick Camp were joking about you know Tony's going to have fucking Yohan at six and Nick Madrigal at one, and he's like, oh this ugh, this Yohan, what is this? He barely hit, and then have him bunt all the fucking time. People were yeah, people were it. speculating today that that they're going to make Johan give the number ten to Tony. I don't know if that's true, Jeez. but <laughs> but like I, yep. I I couldn't find the evidence, but people were already saying that that's a thing. Well, Johan's I'm like, no, it's not a hey, thing. I'm going back to the region. I'm Wear going... your fucking jacket. Wear your jacket, Dick. It says MGR on it, Dick. No number. You're not playing. Go fucking Connie Mack style and wear a suit. You're about as old as he is. So, yeah, yeah. That If, if I'm Johan, I'm like, fuck you, man. I make more money than you. I'm more important to this organization than you. My shit will be hanging in the rafters after you leave this bitch. So now what? And to say that right there in English, I bet you know I can say that too. Man, dude. Um, yeah, so uh, just wrapping it up here, talking about the Rick Hahn aspect of all this, I, I feel for the guy. You know, He'll be fine. He's a smart guy. He's got a law degree. He doesn't have to work in baseball. You know, could be a guy. Maybe you talk about someone who replaced Rob Manfred. You know, I don't know if he'd be on my short list, but I would take a look at Rick Hahn, a smart guy with with logical ideas, an articulate guy, a good communicator. Uh, he'd be a good uh, guy to have in your commissioner's chair, unlike the guy who was slurring his words out there the other night. Um, but another guy that people talked about being a commissioner when his run is done on the north side is Theo Epstein, and that thing is coming to an end this year, it looks like. And the natural link people are making, Rick Hahn grew up uh, on the North Shore, and he grew up a Cubs fan. You can look at it on the internet. He he wrote a letter uh, as a child to Dallas Green, like it was sort of his first exposure to being a general manager, talking about ways the Cubs could improve their team back in uh, 84, 85. Uh, so that natural connection is there. Do you think uh, in a year's time, Rick Hahn is working for the Cubs? I think the challenge of working for the Cubs, especially being president of baseball ops, where he sees Theo has pretty much autonomy on baseball moves. Now, the money might not come to him. But there's more of it. Yeah, they gave Theo a lot of money to spend on however he wanted to, but he told him there's a budget too. And he sees that after working for Jerry Reinsdorf, 
with his thumb over him and just looking at it every fucking deal he has. He can't be a decision maker. That's another thing about that. You're on a call with like the San Francisco Giants to try to get somebody, and that San Francisco Giants GM is like, hey, am I speaking to the decision maker, Rick? Because, <laughs> you know, you didn't make the decision on the manager, so can you make the decision on this? Because I only want to speak to people who can – make the deal right now. I don't want to be speaking to the secretary. So man, get, they're, they're get Jerry in the phone. They're giving Rick Hahn the, the, the sales pitch that, that I would give when I was like trying to sell cars and one of the other shitty jobs that I had where you, you know, you, a woman would come in and you'd like ask if she was the decision maker in the house. Like that was on the list of questions yes. or, or <laughs> the reversal of that where you'd ask the man, Hey, uh, Hey buddy, I thought you were the decision maker here. What's going on? Oh, right? you you know? <laughs> yeah. I never do. I never I put you were the pants of the family. Right. Right, exactly. Huh. I never, I guess not. yeah, I never pulled that trick, but it was definitely on the list of of techniques. So, like, that, I hate to to have that being in play when you're trying to make a trade with someone. Hey, hey Rick, is uh, is Kenny around? Is Jerry around? <laughs> you know, like that's so emasculating, man. Like, oh, that's just horrendous. Yeah, and so yeah, I would uh, see that being a thing where you know he's still in the same town. He can go to a team with the same or better history. Yeah, he didn't build that team up, but the challenge of making that next Cubs team with the promise of uh, extended a period of time to do it would be challenging for him. And yeah, it will be sad to see his architect, his building, his thing that he made from scratch look great on the other side of town. But as a professional, as a person that takes pride in what they do, that has an ego, you got to feel that he's like, this is bullshit. I know Jerry, and I know this is a possibility, but I thought after, in the clip you just played, I thought after me convincing him for years to rebuild, and he finally did it, and allowing me to take ownership of this rebuild and take ownership of this team feel like I am the architect of this for me to get all that done almost to the summit and you to take that shit and kick me off that mountain feels like a betrayal. And I don't think he feels good about that betrayal. Like the, the, he shouldn't. the mood, the, the feeling in that room was just dour and, he would like a chance to just be the baseball guy. If you want to set a budget for me, owners, smooth. Give me the money. But when it comes to the baseball stuff, I'll handle that. When it comes to the business stuff, Crane Kenny can handle that. Or in the in the Jerry Kenny Rick uh, atmosphere, let Kenny do business stuff. Let Kenny do scouting stuff. Whatever he wants to do. Jerry, sign the checks or don't. Tell me yay or nay. But let me do baseball things. I got to be the baseball ops because I'm going down for this shit. Like, if it don't work, they're going to say Rick Hahn failed. They're not going to say Jerry Reinsdorf failed. They're going to say Rick Hahn failed. So if my name's on it, I should be shopping for the groceries. And you picking the guy that's leading our team is bad. I got to go to the Cubs. And he knows that would stick in the craw of Jerry, too. It would kill Jerry for Rick Hahn to go over the Cubs. Kill him. Not, fi- not literally, figuratively. Yeah, he would just get kicked up to another like you know uh, advisor role, or you know, you know, he'll he'll be on the tier with with, with Kenny. You know what I mean? Like above a GM type. You know, he'll, he'll just be kicked up higher, promoted even higher. But 
you know, just wrapping it up here, you know, Rick Hahn is not infallible. He's made his share of mistakes, but he's earned mm-hmm. the right to make the move that he wants to make here. And, you know, Rick Hahn's been wrong before. He could be wrong this time. You know, this could result in a year from now, us talking about how great it was uh, to be at a White Sox World Series parade and how we all made way too much to do about this this hire. And we could say, yeah, Rick Hahn was wrong, but it worked out in the end. So, But we should... You know, keep in mind that it also could could fail, and we could say Rickon was right. Either way, we should have the same intensity. You know, so, but let's let's not forget this thought when we're we're caping for Rickon just tonight, just for today, because he had a bad day today. If this works, we should go back and say, hey, this is not the guy that Rickon wanted. So, how much does Rickon actually know? I hope it gets to that point. Uh, but just for today, I felt like it was important to to put this in context and shed some light on what was going on and. Uh, Jeff Passan today, finally, uh, as we uh, capped this year, uh, tweeted that there was already like infighting and turmoil in the White Sox organization after this hire today. Um, so I don't know if that came directly from Rick or just other guys in the organization, but uh, it's it's not good. That's not what you want when you want to take all the distractions off the table and just focus on winning, and you don't want to have infighting in your organization. So um, other thoughts here before someone and I forget to mention it. Um, I think maybe Super Joe could stick around as a bench coach. He played for uh, Tony back in 98-99. So maybe you have a guy there who can explain to you what the roster is like. And, you know, obviously Tony is not even familiar with some of the star players. He kept referring to Tim as Anderson. Uh, and so I don't think he knows about the the details and the finer points of a Cody Hoyer or a Matt Foster. So I think maybe Super Joe could stick around as his bench coach uh, So as part of the transition team, uh, so to speak. And uh, a guy that I'm curious to know what happens to him in 2021 is Yadi Molina who obviously, you know, a Hall of Famer in his own right. And uh, Mr. He, he's like empresario. He, he's the baseball police chief commissioner. Um, but maybe a guy that I would like to see maybe on that bench as someone who can relate a little bit to the modern player, but also kind of be uh, a hardline type of guy, but still be a, a, have a sympathetic ear to what uh, what the modern athlete goes through. Just a couple quick thoughts about who could round out the bench because we know Dave Duncan's not going to be in the mix at least at the field level. So it's, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they make uh, of his coaching staff. So uh, I have no other insight on, on that, but I just wanted to, to, to sort of uh, get those words out there into the ether that I think either of those two guys uh, would, would be good candidates to either stick around in Joe McEwing's case or uh, a guy to bring into the fold and maybe be the guy that takes over for Tony in a couple of years and Yachty Molina. So that, that's all I got tonight uh, as, we, as we finish our caping for Rickon. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that's those are two good hires. I mean, Joe would be great. And just in case Tony ever has to miss a couple games or if he steps away early, Joe McEwing, we brought him up yesterday as a possible or two days ago as a possible manager candidate. And I would love Super Joe. I think he just chill, relax, understands the game of baseball. And with uh, the players already know him, he understands the vibe of the, the clubhouse. So maybe he can – ease Tony into that. So uh, for Chris Tannehill at Chris Tannehill on Twitter, me, Herb Lawrence, Ecknerwall23 is how you follow me on Twitter. The show is at Locked on Socks on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to email us for Mailbag Monday or Tuesday, whenever we do it, it's LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. We're seeing them all. We read them all. 
some of them will make our next show. So for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this Teflon Rick Hahn. <laughs> it's sad day. Treat yourself I'm to sorry, a, treat yourself to a new suit, a new Teflon suit, man. It may not be as Teflon as it once was about a week ago after you fired Rick Renteria, but make sure you know get yourself a nice do, do something nice for yourself, Rick Hahn. <laughs> it's okay. We're we're, we're, oh, we're allowing God. you to. Uh, that Teflon thing is just great. Uh, <laughs> when he, especially when he brought it back to me. Yeah, I still love that. But yeah, sorry, Rick. It's a bad day. Tomorrow will be better. You know, when you get into free agency, hopefully the checkbook is open. This is you did a solid for your man's. We'll do a solid for you. You think so? Thank you for listening to Locked On Socks.